0: Welcome to the Flabby Bottom Flying Club Studios and the EAA Chapter 84 podcast. I'm your host, David Weber. This is the first in a series where we will bring you the history and current events of EAA Chapter 84. We might even get into a little aviation news. Today's guest is Chapter Elder, if I may, Nick Gentry, who has a 35-year history within the chapter. We will talk to Nick about such things as former chapter presidents, exciting events from the past, where Nick thinks the chapter should go, and his predictions for the future of experimental aviation. So give me a few moments to thank some people, and then we will start our conversation with chapter elder Nick Gentry. First, I'd like to thank Adam Schultz for the wonderful intro music, Candace Harvey and the Harvey family for their ongoing support of EAA Chapter 84. Most of all, I'd like to thank Experimental Aircraft Association founder Paul Poberenzny, along with the entire EAA staff at headquarters, for all of their hard work they have done and continue to do. And now, I bring you Nick Gentry. Well, welcome, and uh, we're sitting here with uh, Nick Gentry, longtime member of EAA Chapter 84. How you doing, Nick? Just right. Well, great. Hey, Nick, I uh, kind of want to jump right into things here, and uh, what I'd like you to do is tell me a little bit about uh, when you got your pilot's license and where and the process you had to do uh, in well, getting uh, that. I uh,
1: started uh, as a student in uh, 1960. And my father-in-law had a Cessna 180 and he let me use it so I got the first 14 hours or so in the 180. And then uh, he got busy and was flying all over the place. He's a veterinarian, big animal veterinarian, racehorses and stuff like that, expensive cows. (laughs) (laughs) And so then I started flying the 150. uh,
0: Now, is that the first plane you soloed in?
1: Yes, And uh, my instructor was a B-24 pilot in World War II. And uh, got my license. It was, I don't know, I think I got like a 99 on the dang test. The test was so easy. And uh, away we went. But uh, I was a student and didn't have much money, so I didn't fly too often. But uh, we could rent a 150 for... uh, a hundred dollars in advance for uh, ten dollars and eighty cents wet. So whenever I could get enough money to put down a hundred dollars, then I'd go out and fly it up.
0: Now, did this include uh, long cross-countries like we have to do today, or uh, was it a much simpler test back then?
1: Well, the, <laughs> the next nearest town was always a long cross-country, out <laughs> in <laughs> uh, West Texas, from El Paso County's uh, second largest county in Texas. Hudspeth County is the largest one. And uh, I fly to uh, Demi, New Mexico one time. I had the field in sight, gravel field. And a haboob came by. And the thing went to 40,000 feet. So I turned around and headed back to El Paso. And I just landed and got it tied down when that thing hit. And pilots in the lounge were saying, well... They got up to as high as they could go, 28,000 feet, and they were looking straight up and couldn't get over it. So everybody came back. Horrible storm. But they they counted it anyway, even though I didn't get it signed.
0: (laughs) But that went toward your your license. So how did you first get your your interest in experimental aviation?
1: Uh, Well, there was a chapter in El Paso, and uh, I didn't join up right away, but I went and uh, listened to them, and uh, the largest Cessna dealer in the world was Champney Aviation, because they had all of Mexico. So when you needed parts, he was the largest parts uh, seller. And my father-in-law was his largest customer. We rebuilt, I helped him sometimes rebuilding airplanes. And uh, we were buying wings and Tail assemblies and parts, and two tens are wiped out the nose gear in the sand and rebuild those things.
0: So now, were you helping to rebuild these things? Oh
1: yeah, uh, while I was in college, I guess we did about ten airplanes, uh, two ten and one ninety five, and uh, a couple of one seventy twos and things like that.
0: So that just kind of progressed into uh, actually building your own aircraft.
1: Uh, eventually. Uh, after I graduated from college, I uh, went to Baton Rouge, and then I joined my first chapter.
0: And that chapter and, was? I don't remember the number. <laughs> um,
1: but one of the members was a guy named Kimball. And if you want to buy an MP14 in this country, you've got to buy it from Jim Kimball. Now his son is running his business down in Florida. So it, it's kind of neat. He was building a 5-8 a scale uh Fuck with 190. Cool looking airplane. And
0: did that ever fly?
1: I don't know. He moved to Florida and I was still in Baton Rouge. So I don't know.
0: So what was your next chapter after this one?
1: Um, Tampa. Tampa. And I went to Tampa and um, as it turned out...
0: Now, was it a job that brought you to Tampa? Oh, yeah. I okay.
1: worked for a construction company. I got transferred all over the place. And that's how come so many moves. <laughs> and... As it turns out, the chapter I was in, after I left and went to New York, our past Young Eagles guy was in the same chapter and was flying there in uh, a little town uh,
0: south of Tampa. And now do you remember what chapter number that was? Can't remember the number. Uh, In New
1: York, it was chapter three.
0: Okay. That's and an I, early chapter.
1: Uh, a lot of history there. Um, then in New Hampshire, I don't remember the number of that chapter either. And I was there four years. And the company just kept moving me around.
0: Now, were you doing any building during this time, or were uh, you just yeah, uh, going I, from chapter I, to I chapter? I
1: built uh, the Janice uh, Taney in that time.
0: Tell me about that airplane.
1: Well, um, I changed it to a conventional horizontal stabilizer and elevator. And
0: uh, Was this a plans or was it a kit? It, it,
1: was, a, it was a plans. Okay. Uh,
0: Do you remember who designed it? Oh, yeah.
1: Calvin Parker. I went to uh, Picayune, Mississippi to an air show when he had the Teeny 2 out. I was working on the Teeny 1. And... Uh, He's a great big old tall guy, and I got I grabbed the wingtip, and the holes were worn out. I could move that wingtip up and down like four inches, and he was still flying. I wouldn't even have got in that airplane. I would have just, I'd been scared to death. He flew that thing all over the country, so he was working for a, a big aircraft manufacturer in Los Angeles. I don't remember which one, and he and four guys got together and designed a minimalist airplane and then they figured out what the thicknesses needed to be in the wing skins and the fuselage skins and all that kind of stuff and then they settled on 20 thousands and 40 thousands so the whole airplane was 20 thousands except for uh, the high loaded pieces and they were 40 thousands bulkheads and things like that and then uh, the spars were 40 thousands with the three sixteenths one uh one and a half. One and a half. Caps. It was a pretty strong airplane, and uh, fun little airplane. And uh, now, did you
0: complete this airplane? I did. And flew it.
1: Uh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> when I in New York, there's all the airports are controlled except out at Montauk Point. That's the only uncontrolled airfield on Long Island. And it was 104 miles to go out there never made it out there to fly and just sit in the backyard in a trailer and uh, when I got transferred back to Louisiana my wife sold it she gave it to a a uh, and school boy was I hot but this it was gone
0: <laughs> she wasn't helping your uh, uh, well, aviation oh, well, she dreams. helped me
1: bend the spars and all that kind of stuff and bend the ribs and she was pretty helpful like that but she was afraid I was going to get killed in the thing and uh, now I'm working on a Volksplane, plane and she says you can work on it all you want but you can't fly it <laughs> but I had a heart attack and so I'm not uh, don't feel like working on it anymore. It's sitting there about structurally about 80% complete. Rudder's complete and covered but that's all that's complete. It's missing the top and bottom skins on the fuselage and uh, the fuel tank. I hadn't built that yet. When I got the engine for it, Jim Davidson was gonna build it up for me. I got new uh, cylinders and pistons, and new crank. And uh, he didn't want to finish it up because he knew the plane was gonna be a couple years off and he just put the engine together and sit there, just going to rust up around here. So he hadn't worked on it for me.
0: All right, Nick. So tell me a little bit about your first meeting here at EA Chapter 84.
1: Well, the, uh, of course, I was new to the chapter and um, Lando and his dad were there and he, every other meeting or so, he'd bring one of his projects over. And one of them was uh, the Queen of England's carriage. This thing was about six feet long. All that detail. It wasn't real gold. It was just gold paint, but immaculate. And uh, his dad was one of the ones and in, in, in he formed Chapter 84. Frank Meldon was one of them. And,
0: uh, and where were these meetings happening?
1: Uh, In the uh, 247 restoration area in the museum's hangar.
0: So at the Museum of Flight Restoration Center at Payne Field. Yeah. But at that time, it wasn't the restoration center. It was something else. I don't know who
1: owned it. Uh, Boeing rented the very west end, and the helicopter guys had the whole rest of it.
0: So they were doing helicopter restoration or just working on helicopters?
1: uh, They were restoring them. Because they were a million pieces when they were in there. And they were redoing Huey's and a couple others. And, and so that,
0: that's where the chapter would meet, was in that building there at Payne Field?
1: Well, when they, uh, you go in the west door, to the right is all the offices. And they're one story deep. And on top of that, at the very west end, was an open area that was planked over handrails and lights. And that's where we had our meeting upstairs there.
0: Okay. How many people were in the chapter at that time? Uh, Roughly. About, about
1: 50. Okay. And, uh,
0: and how long did they meet at that building?
1: Uh, I think about five years. Um, then we moved over into the building that's immediately north of that, and that's where they store their completed airplanes that are not on display. So it's full of airplanes. They had about 25 airplanes in there. They had a helicopter that had turbojets on the tip of the rotors. Neat, but it was so noisy you could hear it three miles away.
0: <laughs> Do you remember who was chapter president at that time?
1: Um, no, I don't, I don't know which sequence we had. We had a guy that, he was a shop teacher at uh, Monroe Junior High. And uh, he built a four by eight board with glass on it. We put all our pictures of the airplanes and the members all in this board. And somebody stole that thing when we moved to Snohomish. And uh, we had uh, a couple of pews that someone donated from a church, really great. And then the chairs we got in the hangar now, that was a balance of them, these wooden chairs. but. Somebody got those too, so we we uh, people just went in there and raided that thing when they the heard we were moving. The only thing we got left is that box that's under the glass computer table in there to store we should store the, the coffee pot and coffee and all that kind of stuff in there.
0: So, who were some of the members that at that time?
1: Um, well, Dan Thomas, Frank Melder. Um, Lando and his father, uh, the guy that was uh, the preacher, he was uh, the president for a while there. I can't remember. Uh, We had a guy that built the uh, RV6 and he was the head of maintenance for ATS, when it was a previous company. And he got mad at him. He was running the whole show of those two big buildings. The third one, too, that uh, Boeing took over. And uh, he got mad at one day, so he just quit. And uh, when he finished his airplane, he dropped out of the chapter. And He's had four or five airplanes since then. He's always had an airplane of some kind. He had a, he had a J3 and, a, and his, sold his six. They offered him so much money, he couldn't, just couldn't turn it down. And then he didn't have anything to fly. So we restored a J3 and uh, saw him up at Arlington, the last show they had up there, and he was borrowing a friend's airplane they were flying it around, a restored plane, really nice thing. It was a, I don't remember what model it was, but it was one of the military spotter airplanes that they put uh, litters in, all glass and everything, and they were flying that around just to keep it flying. It was a lot of fun.
0: Were there any uh, characters in well, we the had uh, member at that, that time?
1: Uh, built a um, a school teacher that built uh a glass airplane that looked like a uh, long easy, but it was four passenger. I can't remember uh, Velocity, maybe? I can't remember for sure. And then he had, but he designed his house with a big beam in it. And they just took the back wall out of the basement to get the airplane out. uh,
0: Very innovative. As soon
1: as he got his plane flying, he dropped out. So
0: I kind of get a little bit of a theme here. You keep saying that all these people that finish their airplanes and then they just drop out.
1: Well, at least 15 of them I can think of.
0: All right, Nick. Well, that's pretty interesting. Uh, Can you tell me where the chapter moved after they were uh, in the restoration center?
1: Well, we were in the restoration center. And then we moved for a couple of years over into the storage hangar, which is the one just north so of So still
0: it. at Payne Field, just still across. Still Payne Field. Okay.
1: And we were in there, I don't know if it's two or three years. And then we moved to the uh, library
0: in Snohomish. The, new, the old library or the new library? The old one. The old and they
1: one. they kicked us out of there when the new one opened because they were going to remodel it. Tear down, they put some cheap extensions on there sometime in history. They tore all that stuff down and trying to restore it as the original Carnegie building was built. And then we went over to the new library for a little over a year, maybe a year and a half.
0: I think that was built like 2010, somewhere around there. Jeez, I can't remember the time.
1: Uh, and then Candy said, well, we could use Hangar 15
0: which is here at Harvey Field. Yeah,
1: so then we moved over here. We were having our meetings here. And uh, Rand Martin was president at the time. And he pushed real hard to get that hangar. And uh, the guy uh Tom all, The guy was a painter. And it was just oh. full of paint equipment. Yep. Crab all I remember over. that. And he just left. And then He left all the junk there, all his old sprayers and paint... We, got our, I mean, we must have gotten rid of 80 yep. gallons, five-gallon cans of paint.
0: Yep. I yeah. remember loading them up and yeah, Jock helping us out. Oh, man. We were up there. And, and they he, cut
1: the uh, beam out that was holding up right. the roof because they put a post up there and put a second floor.
0: Right. And, and that's it, where they were keeping all the paint up top of the, the second yeah, part so of the tee. We
1: took that out and then uh, we uh, replaced the diagonal and... Uh, Put straps on it and whatnot and put it back together so that it's as it was, pretty much.
0: And then you plumbed the entire thing for air.
1: Oh, uh, I plumbed it for air and I put the electrical circuits all the way around and uh, built tables around the edge with the idea being at the time that we said, well, we'll have uh, uh, young eagles or students and, yeah. and come in and we show them how to do airplane things. And, uh, they work pretty good, but we never did do that. So they're still there, and they fold up out of the way. You put a bigger airplane in there,
0: and uh, but we've been able to use that hangar fairly well for chapters being yeah, well, we, we, we Had members getting their, in their airplanes ready,
1: and then seven oh one, then we had a seven fifty.
0: Well, I was in there first with my Sonics. Yeah. That was the first one that we put in there. And then after that, I think it was the 701.
1: Uh, we had uh, Venables 701. Venables. Right. Then after that, we had Venables 750. Oh. And it was in there for a little, he built most of it at home. And then uh, we had, uh, I can't think of the guy's name now, with the 701. Charlie, yes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so he finished up his airplane there with a seven hundred one, and then we have the uh, uh, what the heck is that thing called? It's a seaplane. Uh, darn, I can't think of the name of it right the now. The
0: Sea Ray that that's in the Sea Ray, yeah, yeah, it's, with Jeff. The Sea yep.
1: Ray, and he's uh, it's complete except for the pilots canopy
0: mm.
1: and it's sticky and the guy was worried about if he had to take if he had to go in somewhere couldn't get out of the airplane mm. so he's redoing that and he's waiting on parts he's got the plexiglass and he's waiting for a new piece of the part of the frame so if he wants it easy you know before you hit the ground you want to open that thing so that you can get out and uh, he was worried about that He's taxied it, but he has not flown it. So he's got quite a few hours of taxiing around and uh, did a beautiful
0: job. Now, we also used that hangar when we rebuilt the wind tee out here.
1: Yes, we did. Well, it was while, uh, oh, that was while he was doing the banty. While the banty was in there, we were over in the the little extra portion there and we redid the wind tee in there that was a fun project it uh,
0: yeah we had it's to strip still functioning
1: that. like crazy it works great and I think the lights are still working I hadn't checked
0: yep I uh, drove, drove by him the other night
1: I was going to put uh, who's the fellow that has the LED lights we we're going to use one of the new ones That is he Snyder Snyder
0: Warren Snyder yeah
1: and uh, well, he's another one who got just finished with his airplane and dropped out when he moved up to uh, mm-hmm. uh, frontier. And, uh,
0: I still see him now and then.
1: And uh, but I I didn't know how to drill the hole in the mounting brackets for the new screws with the hanger loop with the wing moving. Now you got to drill a one sixteenth hole through there and tap it for.
0: And what airplane is this? The Winty. Oh, the Winty. To put
1: the strobe lights on it,
0: ah. which is what
1: we wanted to do, but. Uh, I never, I never could figure out a way to do that because if you don't, you, you can't, almost can't drill by hand with the one sixteenth bit. And if it's moving, it's really hard. And it, it's hard enough with a drill press, getting it just where you want it and getting the hole plumb and all that kind of stuff and then tapping it for the uh, 632, which is what the bolts need to be. So it would never have reinforced that. Then after we, uh, Jim Davidson and I went down and the pole that has the wind tee on it, mm-hmm. we put a new base in there. We dug it out, strapped it out and got it plumb. It was just sitting in the dirt. And so it was leaning over. And uh, so we poured in concrete in it and then we re- reran the conduit for it. And then uh, we did the same thing for the wind tee. We put a concrete base in it. And the airport has since modified it. And they ran, tied into the junction box and went somewhere else with it. So it's it's on the same circuit as the uh,
0: runway lights. So it turns on when the runway lights turn on. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So I appreciate all the history that we've been talking about here. I think that's uh, very interesting to some of the chapter members. But I'd kind of like to pick your brain a little bit about uh, where do you think the chapter should go in the future? What uh, what do you think the chapter should concentrate on in the next, say, uh, three years, five years, ten years?
1: Well, it's a, a really difficult thing right now because we have a new generation of kids. And they're like no generation ever. They got their hand out and they're not interested in doing anything for work. If the airplane isn't totally assembled, they won't fly it. They won't build one. They want a ready-to-fly airplane. And they're just kind of that way. And so we've only had a couple of young people, three.
0: So you think the membership is suffering because of that Uh, attitude?
1: Well, normally we have somewhere between 40 and 50 members. And we lose about 10 and we gain about 10. Guys are moving on or finishing their projects or or whatever. and we haven't really grown any. We had uh, more members in 86 than we do now. And uh, I don't know if it's because Boeing was ripping along. I don't know. So, how sure. do you
0: think we could get more youth members involved in the chapter?
1: I don't know. It's, that's a really difficult thing. And uh, the only thing I can think of is that we'd have to get uh, mixed up with the schools, the high schools, and uh, maybe even the junior highs.
0: Well, we used to run libraries or, or magazines out to the libraries. Right. I remember we used to have we a program about made those boxes, that. and
1: then they changed the size of the magazine and won't fit in a box anymore. <laughs> so the boxes all kind of disappeared. I don't know what happened to them.
0: Well, everything's online now, too, so yeah. it's kind of hard to.
1: But uh, the people in the middle are the ones that are really in a bind, we'll say from the 20s to 40s, 50s because they're raising a family and everybody's on a budget and the home building is usually, uh, I'd say 80% on building an inexpensive airplane without them realizing there isn't any such thing. It's a money hole like a boat. And uh, once they get a little older, then we pick up guys that start building in their 50s and a lot of them age out before they finish their airplane. And uh, we've had four or five of them sell their airplane or just finish the airplane and they die. We've had a bunch of guys do that. And so they never got to fly their airplane. Uh, a past, oh, a past president did that. He built a nine. Beautiful job.
0: Do you remember who this was?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, Dornberger. He was a president for a while too.
0: Cliff, yes. And he
1: got us incorporated as the 301 C3. And, uh, but his airplane was finished and then he had a stroke and he went blind in one eye. And I saw him down at the symposium a couple of times and he just went downhill. You could see it just And uh, so he was not able to fly his airplane you just His health just got worse and worse, than it, and he finally died, I think, early last
0: year. So if you had to say to, to somebody in the chapters, whoever's running the chapter right now, say, hey, Nick, we're putting you in charge of this, how would you go and start getting youth involved in the program? Focus like a laser beam on that for me. Well, what would, what would be the first thing you would do? I don't have
1: do? any really good ideas because I'm, uh, I hadn't been a mice... Oldest kid uh, graduated from high school in 89. So I haven't had anything to do with schools for quite a while.
0: <laughs> well, what do you see? We have a couple of younger youth that have joined recently. You know, Well, uh, they fit in the 20s. category
1: of being interested in aviation. And one of them is actually learning to fly. And the other one wants to learn to fly, but it's a financial problem. They just can't come up with the money. And uh, I don't, you know, the...
0: the uh, so maybe a scholarship of some sort or... Well,
1: a, I, I think if you could... Financial help? out first you've got to find some kids and, and, and kind of motivate them for a while to find out who really wants to stick with it and, uh, and then help them out with a scholarship or something for uh, help them uh, get started in flying. Um uh, I think that would be a good idea. Okay. it's uh, We just don't have too many prospects at the moment.
0: So where do you think experimental aviation, particularly things like EAA chapters, where do you think that's going to go? What do you see in the future for that kind of
1: stuff? Well, the, uh, most of the guys, are, if they're older pilots, they want they want to go fast. So they're in the RV business. And not too many of them are building fun airplanes, uh, inexpensive, high wing, low powered, uh, not ultralights, but heavy ultralights, and they're uh, folding wings. You can take them home. You don't have to keep them. And that the hangar is a big expense. So you look at uh, maintenance is going to cost you around three or four thousand a year. The hangar's going to cost you five thousand dollars a year. So it it. Prices a lot of people out you can't take the airplane home. So I see, I see a lot more of the, the light aircraft coming on because they're affordable and fun. And a guy that wants to fly somewhere, uh, they uh, usually fall into two groups. One guy that likes to build airplanes, and they would build airplanes whether they fly them or not. They just like building airplanes. And there's a few of them around and uh, two or three of them we've had in the chapter, and they're on their third or fourth RV6 because they can't turn the money down. Somebody offers them $80,000 and they they only got 60 in it, and they just can't turn it down. And uh, Dan Thomas's brother in law is a good case. So he built a six and a seven, and both times just had the plane out of its test flight program, mint airplanes and people offered him so much money he just couldn't turn it down. So he's, he's kind of out out of the airplane business now. He's got all his kids in college. But uh, that's happened to quite a few. And Gary Waters is what, was the guy from the, the managing the maintenance for the ATS. And uh,
0: guy offered him so much money, he just sold him the six. So if we're going to give a a bit of advice to somebody thinking about uh, starting an airplane project and somebody that wants to, uh, and I say project specifically because uh, we all know that their projects, they're not airplanes until they fly. (laughs) Um, What kind of advice would you give somebody who's thinking about starting an airplane project? Well,
1: I think that everybody that starts one is really gung ho and they don't see the drawbacks from building. And it never enters their mind that it's gonna take them seven to 10 years. And that's typical, seven years is a typical project. And uh, that's if you're pretty steady at it. And if you're not steady and things happen when it's 10 years. Or like uh, Thomas, he's been working on that Starduster two for 30 years. And it's almost complete now. Uh, structurally, So he's finally uh, has about a, almost 200 tabs on it for longerons and all that stuff for the fabric. And he's finally got all that done. Now he's got to disassemble the whole damn thing and take it to somebody and have it blasted and painted. And then he'll be able to start assembling for the real so
0: thing. So it's just a proverbial, uh, hey, uh, it's an elephant and take a bite at a time kind of well, advice where you have yeah, to uh, know yeah. that you're... He's
1: like the rest of us. His business has been affected by COVID-19. And, and before that, uh, he had a couple of really great jobs and he did these jobs and the people didn't pay for him, Ruined his company and he lost his company. And, uh, but he does fantastic work. Very uh, conscientious on getting it perfect. But that airplane's been in a tent on his back porch for 10 years. The wings are all complete. The uh, Mm -hmm. center section and the the two lower and the two upper wings are completely finished. They're not covered, but they're completely done. Everything's in them and everything works. And the fuselage is complete now, but I haven't talked to him in the last four or five months. So he should be getting ready to take it apart and have it blasted and painted. And then he's already made all the wood parts. They go on at the floor and the seat backs and all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, the instrument panel and f- fuel tank, all of that stuff's done. The fuel tank and the, the center section wing is done and the fuel tank and the fuselage tank is done. Uh, got the inverted system. And he's got an engine, which is uh, to be kind is a basket case. It's assembled, but it has to be disassembled and gone through and remanufactured. And uh, that's probably in the $3,500 range or more. And he's uh, in the garden art business now, and so he doesn't really make enough money to gung-ho on the airplane.
0: Yeah,
1: Yeah. Uh, His wife works for... uh, Costco and she likes to spend the money so he's had that problem all his
0: life (laughs) all right Nick hey one last question here let's uh let's do a little role playing here uh let's pretend that um for whatever reason 50 75 years from now both of you and I are gone and somebody comes across this recording uh what kind of advice would you give to somebody 75 years in the future not airplane specific, just well, anything. What kind of advice would you give? Enjoy it and
1: laugh at it and say, boy, I wish I could do that. <laughs> I can, I, I just can't foresee what's going to happen with our government. It scares me to death. It, it doesn't look good, but I I had optimism. I thought Obama, I'm going to give him a chance. And then when he run re-election, I thought, boy, he's a lot poli- better politician and he's wrecking the country. And now he's, all of Biden's appointees, most of them are Obama people. So we're gonna be right back where we were and it's not gonna be good. And I don't think that Biden is a strong enough leader to go against AOC and the group and his vice president. So I think they're gonna run right over him, but it remains to be seen. So I have high hopes for Biden oh, I really don't believe that it will do it. I just have high hopes, hope that they can get things rolling again and maybe getting back to the way that uh, Americans used
0: to think. And how was that?
1: Well, they, they were kind of independent. They didn't want the government in their business. And they, they wanted to turn them loose and work hard and get going and run their business and make money and enjoy life. And uh, now we're in this COVID thing and you, you can't leave your house unless you're a designated uh, must have job. Of course the school teachers all got paid and all the government people all got paid and everybody else is home starving. And I don't I just don't have any I feeling for how what's gonna happen I don't think the COVID thing's gonna be over till the middle of twenty three. It's just gonna linger and linger and linger. Yeah. Let's then, pray not, huh? Well, now people are afraid to take the vaccine because they think the government's playing with it and trying to modify them and put uh, ID capsules in them, all this stuff. Just crazy stuff. <laughs> and uh, then I can't believe the amount of people that will go to a Walmart and fight with a greeter because they ask him to wear a mask. I don't think the mass do any good. Uh, but We just got this huge resistance. And uh, if that gets worse, then we're in trouble. Biden raises our taxes. I think there's gonna be a tax revolt. Now I can foresee that, but I don't know what he's gonna really do. Hopefully he'll be strong enough to resist a little of that. But if he does what he says he's gonna do, well, we're gonna have a rough ride.
0: Well, hey, thanks, Nick. I really appreciate your time coming down here to the Flabby Bottom Studios, and uh, I think uh, you're a great guest for our inaugural number one podcast here. Uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time, your experience, your wisdom. Well, I and... just remember,
1: just wish I could remember more names. I'm, I'm having more and more senior moments. So typically, when <laughs> I'm almost eighty, I'll be eighty in April, and boy, uh, oh, I just can't stand it when I can't remember all these guys' names. I can see their faces, but I can't remember their name. Wow. It Drives me crazy.
0: If, uh, if I could remember half of what you can currently remember, <laughs> uh, I would be a better man. So thank you again, Nick, for coming down here. And uh, I look forward to uh, seeing you walking around the airport. Feel free to stop at any time and say hi. All right. Thanks, Nick. And now for a little bit of news. If you hadn't heard, aerospace electric propulsion systems company Magna X is moving to Everett. Yes, they are consolidating all of their Australian and Redmond operations to Everett. This is a 40,000 square foot building. We wish Magna X all the best, and we hope that sometime soon they would come back and talk to the chapter. If you recall, Magna X powered a DH. C-2 de Havilland Beaver with their conversion electric motor. I can't wait to see what they bring back and show the chapter again. Sun and Fun is planning for the 2021 in-person expo. If you're listening to this podcast sometime in the future, we are in the middle of a pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. Sun and Fun 2020 was canceled due to this pandemic, but all plans are go for 2021. Organizers say that they will have hundreds of exhibitors along with forums, workshops, aerial displays, including the Blue Angels, F-22 Raptor demo, and the Aeroshell aerobatic team. We hope them all the best, and the event is taking place in April 13th through the 18th. Hope to see you there. In news related directly to experimental aviation, the FAA has come out with a new Airworthiness Certificate Application Program for the Experimental Amateur Built category. So far, reports are that the system itself isn't bad. It's the lack of training that has been accomplished with the DARs and the FAA personnel on how to apply it. This is mostly a computer-based system over the web. So if you're not familiar with that, well, you better find somebody that can. Maybe this is an opportunity for a program on one of our general meetings. Well, the chapter is still meeting virtually every second Tuesday of the month, 7 p.m. We do Zoom meetings. There's no current plans to start general meetings in person. We will let you know when that happens. This concludes our podcast for february 2021 from the flabby bottom flying club studios i've been your host david weber and remember stay off the brakes and keep moving forward